0: The
1: (laughs) News Power Hour. Well, it's a warm welcome to you. It's the first day of December, Wednesday, the 1st of December, and COVID, the dreaded virus, has struck. Nadia Swat is down with the virus. So, uh, Justin, that means uh, pretty much all of us have now had the virus. You were one of the first, uh, Clive and I then, and Jeanette, and, well, our team is uh, hopefully bulletproof against this new one, But uh, poor Nadia, our thoughts are with
2: her. Poor Nad's, Alec. Yes, I think all of us have had it by now. Unfortunately, I think I was the one that brought it into the office when it first spread. So I do apologize. But um, uh, six months later, and we're all strong and healthy, and uh, hopefully have some form of natural immunity.
1: Oh, indeed, we do. But it is interesting to hear uh, how it is spreading now so rapidly. So it appears as though the new uh, virus has. Or the new variant is far more infectious, but not as dangerous. That's early days, but it's that's that's what it appears like. So today, I had two very interesting interviews. One with Adrian Gore, to actually unpack from him the rationale of why he believes vaccines should be mandatory, not just for discovery staff, but for everybody in South Africa. And he's got some very powerful arguments. And so I got the other side from Licha. Uh, the chief executive there, Pit Larue, and uh, the chief economist and strategist, Russell Lamberti, to give the other side of the argument. It really makes fascinating listening. We're going to be having that coming up. But also later in the program, you spoke to Peter Major.
2: I spoke to Peter Major. It is part of the business Share shootout where we get some of South Africa's best fund managers to pick their best stocks for 2022. Peter Major, he... Uh, focuses on the commodity sector i couldn't get a stock pick out of him he's concerned about the commodity prices into 2022 so peter's sitting on the fence he did give some really good insights but i couldn't get a pick of, out of him unfortunately
1: so maybe we should be going short on the resources index perhaps that's what he's saying if he couldn't pull out a, a, an individual stock for us for this competition but anyway it's uh, that's what makes the marketer justin
2: Exactly, Alec. i would be a bit scared to short. Shorting is for um, the brave. However, he does ring his alarm bells. He has been correct in the last few months. The commodity prices have fallen off a cliff. Whether they recover or not, he's not so confident.
1: Well, the, in this morning's uh, news meeting at Biz News, there was quite a lot of interest in the fact that Magnus Hastig has bought Bitcoin for the very first time, uh, one of Bitcoin's arch enemies. But it isn't quite as big an investment as we might have thought. He's put a whole 200 South African rants into it. We'll hear more about that a little later. And what is interesting, though, is that Magnus tweeted this morning the performance of the BizNews share portfolio, which I suppose is tweetable given that the portfolio has risen in the last seven years and it's seven years now this week uh, from 2.25 million rands to 12.5 million rands. And easily outpaced uh, the most of the money managers in South Africa. The reason for that is we invested it offshore. And anybody who's been following that portfolio over the last seven years will know that every month we've updated it and said, well, this is the reason why we have it offshore and so on. But that story is coming up in a moment as well. Magnus talks about that portfolio, also talks about his uh, new dalliance with d- Bitcoin. So plenty of fun in the program uh, tonight in your hour. Of power. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. As we mentioned at the top of the show, our colleague Nadia Swat is recovering from the dreaded virus and stepping into that breach. That particular
3: breach is another of our colleagues, Jared Neves. Jared, what's in the news headlines today? After just a day, the Belito Rage Festival has been cancelled. The annual event came to an abrupt end when partygoers and staff members tested positive for COVID-19. Despite strict protocol, including mandatory vaccination for staff and attendees, 32 guests and four staff members tested positive for the virus. The Department of Health was on site and conducted contact tracing to ensure the isolation of those who tested positive. We take the safety of all our customers, staff and suppliers extremely seriously. It is for that reason that the event organisers have taken the decision to cancel the remainder of Belito Rage said organisers in a statement. The start of 2022 could see the South African government introduce a COVID-19 vaccine passport system. President Ramaphosa has said that while government will consider a vaccine mandate, it would not compel citizens to receive the inoculation against their will. A passport system would restrict access to areas and public services. The Department of Mineral Resources and Energy has admitted to a mistake in the recently announced adjustments to the petrol price. Minister Guede Mantashe said unleaded 93 and 95 petrol would increase by 81 cents from midnight on Wednesday. The actual price was only supposed to go up by 75 cents. In a statement, the department apologised for any inconvenience caused, noting it was the first time in the basic fuel price determinations history that it has made this mistake. Thanks, Jared. Justin, how are the markets looking?
2: Thanks, Alec. The JSE All Share Index was slightly up at 71,000. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies, to 15 rand 76 cents to the dollar, 21 rand and 2 cents to the pound, and 17 rand 86 cents to the euro. Gold is lower at $1,783 an ounce. Kruger Rand will put you back around 29500 rand. Brent crude is up at $72.30 a barrel. And Bitcoin is trading slightly above the 900000 rand level. In the financial news, Aspen Pharmacare, South Africa's biggest pharmaceutical manufacturer, has agreed terms for a deal with COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer Johnson & Johnson to produce its own branded version to sell in Africa, it announced on Tuesday. The agreement gives Aspen greater control over which customers to supply and paves the way for a further licensing deal for manufacturing the active pharmaceutical ingredients used in the jab, bolstering Africa's security of supply. Aspen was contracted by J&J in November 2020 to formulate fill and package vials of its COVID-19 shot, but up until now, it has been that J&J determines which countries can purchase the product. While the majority of the dose in Aspen helps produce have been shipped to Africa, j initially sends some to Europe, triggering international criticism. The new agreement means Aspen can sell the vaccines at bottles branded Aspenovax to AU members and multinational organizations such as the international vaccine sharing vehicle COVAX.
1: This Daily Market Report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes.
0: Today is Wednesday, December 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. The new Omicron variant and a more hawkish-sounding Fed chair spooked investors yesterday, and the world's biggest clothing retailer has new leadership. Plus, the recent stock market turbulence has market watchers talking about fragility.
4: When the calm breaks, it breaks with more ferocity than it would have been a few years ago.
0: We'll talk with Robin Wigglesworth about the recent market swings and whether there's cause for concern. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. U.S. stock markets were rattled yesterday by fears over the Omicron coronavirus variant and comments from Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell. The S&P 500 finished the day almost 2% lower. Brent crude oil prices slipped nearly 4%. Powell was speaking to U.S. lawmakers and signaled his support for a quicker tapering of the Fed's pandemic bond-buying scheme. He cited the increased risk of higher inflation. But the FT's U.S. economics editor, Colby Smith, says the Fed has to balance competing forces.
2: So with this new variant, what that could mean is more intense supply chain disruptions, more intense bottlenecks as well. And all of those factors are going to contribute perhaps to higher prices. But at the same time, if fears of catching COVID are keeping people from reentering the workforce again, you know, that could also mean that on the labor market front, the recovery is even patchier um, than it has been over the past couple months. So it's a really, really difficult position that the Fed is in at the moment, um, but they have a, a dual mandate, meaning price stability and full employment. So if inflation does genuinely get out of control, I don't think the Fed would hesitate to tame it.
0: Colby Smith is the FT's U.S. economics editor. So this market turbulence started last Friday. It was triggered by concerns about the Omicron variant. Stocks and oil prices had their biggest drops in more than a year. Before this, investors had gone a while without this kind of turbulence. The intensity of this plunge after a long lull has people talking about market fragility our global finance correspondent robin wigglesworth has been writing about this and he joins me now to talk about it hey robin hi mark how are things things are good so robin if i understand this correctly market jolts are getting less frequent but more intense you know why is that
4: well fundamentally right the markets have evolved quite dramatically over the past two three decades but especially since the financial crisis Nowadays it's essentially high frequency trading. It's algorithms trading with other algorithms at speeds that are unfathomable. That has meant that trading is cheaper than ever before, but it also means that markets react very quickly to shifts in sentiment. And one of the phenomena that has always been with financial markets that when markets are turbulent, it's harder to sell and you you, the impact of you selling something is far greater than it would be normal times. That has always been the case, but it seems to be becoming even more pronounced over the past 10 years. And that along with many other factors is why people are talking about how the market system is, is more fragile than many people really appreciate.
0: Right. And for people who like charts and numbers, There's the VIX index. That's the index that measures expected volatility. And it jumped 10 points on Friday. And it's, you know, it's been up a few times over the past few years.
4: So broadly speaking, the stock market is actually more tranquil than it has been in history. And then it has had spikes, for example, March 2020, and then on Friday. But the spikes are bigger and the the troughs are deeper than they have been in the past. So if you look at the volatility of VIX, is a separate index called VVIX, that has generally been trending up for 20 years.
0: So Robin, some people point to central banks and say, hey, you know, holding interest rates so low encourages risk taking, and that leads to volatility. Uh, how does that play into this idea of market fragility that we're talking about?
4: Well, it explains both why volatility has been lower and markets bouncier in the good times. Uh, And why when the the calm breaks, it can break ferociously, but markets snap back pretty quickly. Because fundamentally, what we've seen over the past, let's say 12 years since the financial crisis, is that central banks have acted more aggressively to forestall any potential financial crises. So whenever markets are thrown in a tailspin because of some sort of event, such as a global pandemic, they act so forcefully that the market drop although severe, bounces back very quickly. And that encourages people to take on more risks because they know that central banks have their back. And that all works fine until there is some event that is so big it does cause markets to drop because they've kind of gone over their skis so heavily in taking risk, the drop is that much more severe. But again, that old feedback loop kicks in again where people realize, oh, well, central banks have got our backs. Let's just load up on risk again. And we start the whole cycle once over again.
0: Right. And this idea that central banks have the markets back only goes so far. Think about right now where central banks all over the world are raising interest rates or they're talking about raising interest rates to try and tackle inflation.
4: Well, this is what people are worried about. Might kill this this uh, this market regime, as people call it. And there are many other facets to it. So there's the the liquidity provision, HFT. There's many investment funds that ratchet up how much you know their stock market exposure automatically based on how volatile things are. And then the central bank put, as people call it. But the danger is that the central bank put might be the most powerful force of them all. And if inflation does accelerate or stay high from here, it might mean that central banks feel their hands are tied when it comes to reacting to a market swoon. And that kind of short circuits the central bank put that people have relied on for 12 years now. And buying the dip, which has been the winning strategy for the past yeah, decade, suddenly doesn't work anymore. And people get their... Faces ripped off, as the old Wall Street adage goes.
0: Robin Wigglesworth is the FT's global finance correspondent. Thanks, Robin. Shares in the world's biggest clothing retailer were trimmed sharply yesterday. Inditex shares were down more than 6% after the company, which owns clothing chain Zara, named its new chair. It is 37-year-old Marta Ortega. She's the daughter of Inditex founder, Armancio Ortega. The appointment was supposed to end doubts over succession at the company, but investors seem to have been taken by surprise. The younger Ortega has worked in different parts of the business for the past 15 years, starting as a sales associate. Her appointment was part of a broader management reshuffle that includes a new executive chair who will play the leading executive role at the company. And a little bit more company news before we go.
3: Morrisons make good things happen.
0: British supermarket chain Morrisons is touting its green credentials with an announcement that its cage-free eggs will also be carbon neutral. How? The company plans to feed its egg producers, who would be chickens, with insects instead of soy-based chicken feed. It's working with a startup that'll provide mini-insect farms to Morrison egg suppliers. Now, you might be thinking, don't chickens normally eat bugs? Yes, but raising birds indoors means that most of the feed comes from soybeans and grains. Environmentalists have linked soybeans and chicken feed to the destruction of the Amazon rainforest and the loss of biodiversity in Brazil. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
1: We decided seven years ago to start a portfolio on business. went back every month, did a webinar on it, and that portfolio has grown from being worth 2.25 million to about 12.5 million rand now, primarily because it was invested offshore. Magnus Heistek, you did a tweet this morning having a look at what the comparative returns were from the big names in South African money management, and they don't compare well.
5: Not at all, Alec. I mean, it was... Astonishing how well your portfolio has done, and it just shows you how, if you're not aware and you're not made aware of the facts about what's going on in in, in global markets, how easy it is to be complacent and be happy with returns of four or five percent, because the, the the real facts are being you've been kept away from the real facts, and I've been trying for a long time to alert people that there's something fantastic going on overseas and I've got a hell of a lot of pushback and I've been slammed by journalists and commentators and we're not going to go into that. It doesn't matter anymore. Now, now here yeah, you come with real money. It's not fictitious money. You created this portfolio for all in sundry to see. And when you tweeted this morning about your portfolio, I quickly had a look at our two biggest names, you know, similar funds, equity funds, And and the difference is not marginal. The difference is life-changing. We're talking seven years. We're not talking about a humongous amount of money for most people, 2.2 million rand. But seven years later, you've got 12.5 million rand in your portfolio and you've got 2.4 million or 2.8 in the other one. You know, that is just such a large difference. And it's very hard for the large institutions you know to to try and conceal this this message anymore and uh you know that that was the power of your your tweet your article and then i tweeted and it went viral three four hundred likes and and people are saying well that is the reality and unfortunately that's the truth and it ties to regulation 28 that i wrote about last week we had this article and again i had people slamming me talking rubbish in you know, they're happy with their 3 or 4% returns per, 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 per... And I'm saying, you know, what about the poor investors who do not know how badly they are being shafted by Regulation 28? And as it so happened, I had an investment session with Brentress in the Cape of some high-powered investment players. I'm not going to mention names. You know, you've got the potato uh, house rules. I'm not going to mention names. They agree. They were desperately like Treasury to increase the offshore allowance. And they are speaking to Treasury, but Treasury is under tremendous political pressure not to increase that allowance for a variety of reasons. One is that it will be an admission that under the ANC rule, you know, our markets are not doing well. And then secondly, they're also trying to protect the local market. But there's no question that they would like that offshore allowance to increase fairly dramatically because it is showing up in their in their returns
1: that's an interesting point because we were under the impression that this was a bit of a cabal between the big money managers asset managers in south africa and treasury and actually it suited south african asset managers to be able to keep the money 70% of retirement savings in south africa but what they're saying to you is actually they they aren't really wanting that to happen they would love the opportunity to take that money offshore and presumably also compete with international money managers at the same time.
5: They would like to grow their book or their business faster than it's currently growing. We see it in the in the numbers of coronation that came out last week and you can do it in all the big names for it, Ellen Gray. Their numbers are not growing and, and this is a growth industry. Your assets under management determines your profitability. And I think that the asset managers are realizing, yes, it's nice to be in a protected environment, but if it's only growing at 5% and outside in the rest of the world is growing at 15%, if you do the numbers, you'd, you'd, you'd rather be part of that 15% because that means a much bigger impact on your bottom line, five or 10 years down the line, as opposed to a, a market that is struggling to beat inflation uh, back home. So they're seeing the danger signs. And the second part of the almost admission from this gentleman was they're losing discretionary money because of the exchange control on, 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 on discretionary money. They're up against the uh, Rec 28 rules. So people well-off people are taking money offshore in greater numbers but a lot of that money has been placed with other investment companies, the Vanguards, the Black Rocks, the Templetons, the Fidelities. And our asset managers are very aware of this, that they're actually losing out on the party because they cannot compete in terms of pricing and range of funds that the big players in the world can do. So they're they, they caught between a rock and a hard place. Yes, they'd like to You know, keep assets under control, but the money is flowing out in other ways, and that's hurting their business.
1: So as a message comes through, as Magnus Haystek says more and more, look at the comparison between international to South Africa. Get part of the 99.5% of the world that doesn't exist in this country. Even those who have vested interests are realizing that they can't, like the little boy in the dike, they can't keep the finger in the dike forever.
5: No, they can't. And, and to bring it down to practical terms, I, I, I had a discussion with my wife, my lovely, dearest wife that I love immensely. And about seven years ago, I said to her, she had a couple of you know, lock-up-and-go rental properties, which if she had sold them seven years ago, she would have probably got out of the deal 2 million rand. And I said to her, my darling, if you'd put your money with Eric Hogg and his portfolio, your 2 million rand would be close to 12 million rand. And, you know, what is your property worth today? Not much more than it was seven years ago. So in in, in that case, and, and you can extrapolate this across hundreds of thousands of people, their property values have not gone up in seven years. Not, in fact, they've not gone up in 10 years. So the relative wealth is the issue here. A person who had taken money offshore has become increasingly wealthier than the person who has not taken money offshore. And your real-life example just proved that point once again. And it's not a marginal difference. It is a humongous, substantial difference in real wealth. You know, that case of my wife, she can buy a, a, a fantastic house in in, in Salsa, uh, uh, pay cash for it, and she's got two tiny little apartments in Johannesburg. I mean, that's the difference in a relatively short space of time.
1: An area that certainly captured the attention of our team uh, at Biznews in the news conference this morning is that Magnus haystack has bought Bitcoin. Take us through that.
5: <laughs> you know, this Bitcoin thing, as you well know, this has been, been swirling around and every now and then someone asks me, when are you going to buy Bitcoin, Magnus? And I said, I don't know enough about Bitcoin. First of all, people ask me my views about Bitcoin and I said, I don't know. But part of our exercise of our advisors is let's educate ourselves about Bitcoin. And we had a speaker by the name of Dwayne von Führer, who's an expert on Bitcoin. And he gave us a very long lecture and he tried to explain it to us best he can. And, you know, and the reason is not that we want to be, become involved in Bitcoin. It's almost as part of you, you need to have knowledge of the parts of the investment world so that you can guide your clients. And say, so, look, we've investigated Bitcoin, and we don't think you should invest, or you can invest maybe five percent of your portfolio. So it's part of a learning curve. And all of the room we bought, and some smart guy worked it out. Well, we only basically putting two hundred rand into Bitcoin. So yes, I have bought Bitcoin. It's only worth two hundred rand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not uh, a, a a change in. Approach. You're not saying that no, it's add it your yeah. portfolio. You know,
5: Alec, I'm, now I have a reason to track it. I have, a, I have a skin in the game, as they say. And if I see my 200 start growing to 250 to 300, I might increase my exposure. I might not. now that I have a wallet and I can put money in, I might do that. But it's part of a learning curve. It's just up to now, I said I don't know enough about Bitcoin to give you advice. And secondly, Based on regulation, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to do so. But now I can say, look, I am trying to investigate, and I will give you an answer. So, yes, it's a very small toe that I've dipped into the cold water, but I might put in more over time.
1: Now, you say 200 rand. That's just 200 rand, Not 200 grand. It's... Uh... <laughs> 200 wrong. It's that little, that little orange, the orange leopard. You put one leopard into the. Into
5: Bitcoin. You buy it with two hundred rand, and uh-huh. now we're in the game. And you know, it was just a, a token for all the guys at the conference. And I mean, you know, we might increase it, but now I start reading up, a bit more in detail, watching it, and it's part of a learning curve. I mean, we sometimes investigate investments for our clients. And we actually come back and say, don't touch it. You know, we have to investigate. But I'm not saying don't touch it. I'm saying you might start considering it because you might be going – people might be going to do it any case. It doesn't matter what we say.
1: It's an interesting point that – or philosophy that when you've got skin in the game, you do pay more attention. Absolutely.
5: You you learn the dynamics. And I think the numbers in Bitcoin are becoming so large – and big players are into the market. And and Dwayne and said probably the best way to play it is to buy the futures ETF, which is you can now buy on regulated platforms. Um, Swiss Quote, which is very active in South Africa, offers you an opportunity to buy ETFs on their platform. So that's that's the avenue that we will now start investigating. You can buy it as part of a portfolio tradable, price daily, but, you know, the answer is how much? And we will, we will just have to wait and see. How does business empower our nation? By bringing produce to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, and the tools that shape our cities. And by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why... South Africa banks on business. Business banks on us. Standard Bank. It can be.
1: Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Adrian Gore, the co-founder and chief executive of Discovery. Yesterday, the webinar that you held, Adrian, to unpack the case for mandatory vaccinations. Already, we're seeing a lot of feedback within the business community. Maybe to go back the whole story of discovery has been shared value. It's been trying to get people to do things because they're incentivized to do them. Whereas mandatory vaccines seem to be completely on the other end of the spectrum. And, and that, I think, is what's confusing many people and saying, but why is, is the ethos of a business like yours, which is to encourage people to do things rather than to force them to do things, why are you taking such a different approach this time around?
6: Alec, I mean, I think it's a, it's, that's a very, very uh, important point. It's important to say that, as you're you're pointing out, the issue of incentives is very, very powerful, and we've built our whole business model of incentivizing better healthy choices. You know, so it's to this very point. And the incentives, I mean, we, we've we used are around the fact that people often make uh, choices based on irrational ideas, et cetera, et cetera, incentivizing change. The fact of the vaccine is is different, I think. The, the time frame is short for action, number one. Number two, there's a huge amount of, of misinformation out there. Uh, and number three, the there's deep ideological issues in this. So it's it's a much harder point to get across. And I think incentives in this regard, in our view, would take too long. Too many lives would be lost. We're coming up to a fourth wave. We're in it now. Um, and, in fact, when we started this mandate, we were thinking in September. Our modelling showed that the the wave would start uh, end of November, December. I think most modelling didn't. That's what's happened. So incentives would take too long. Uh, they'd be too insipid, I think. Over time, they'd probably work, you know, as people saw what would happen, et cetera. But, uh, you know, our views that don't work. Uh, in in something that is so important. And therefore, if you can't incentivize on nature, you've got to regulate. You know, and, and regulate regulatory remedies is, is a mandate, whether it's at a corporate level or, or, a, or a country level. So we didn't take the decision lightly. And I think the irony of your observation uh, wasn't lost on us, you know. Um, but I do think that uh, discovery being at the forefront of the debate, uh, being very, very involved in the in the in the country's response and our kind of social mandate of trying to make people healthier, is something we take seriously. And therefore, we took the decision to mandate it for our staff, importantly, not for anyone broader. For our staff, uh, very, very carefully, with a lot of debate. So uh, I think your observation
1: is is ironical and important,
6: but uh, we're very comfortable
1: with it. So it's worked for Discovery staff, and I think you articulated that very clearly yesterday. Also, you've got, was it 1.7 million data points because of the number of lives that are insured or the health that's insured through Discovery. So you've probably got the best insight, certainly in South Africa, into how COVID is affecting this country, but must be amongst the best in the world. So you know that vaccinations actually work. Without going into great detail on that, though, your colleague, Emil Stipp, said to me in an interview here recently that by that stage already, somewhere around three quarters of South Africans had already been infected. They might have been asymptomatic. But doesn't that then suggest that a lot of people have already got a natural immunity? And why would you then want them to be vaccinated as well?
6: I think the, I think the vaccination is, is one of the, the tools in the toolkit. You now, there are a number of them. You know, natural immunity is important. I agree with you. But it's, you know, we need to do whatever we can. It's not clear how strong that's going to be going forward. It, it, it wears down, as does the vaccine. You know, so I don't think there's one silver bullet to this thing. We're seeing with, with uh, Omicron, I mean, the data or, or the expectation, given the mutations that have happened, is it's likely that, that natural immunity will not work against, against this form, this variant of the virus. Uh, so, therefore, vaccine may be the only backstop at the moment. You know, so these things are not clear. Um, the vaccine for sure is unequivocally powerful and we have to use it. It will wear down over time. Variants may emerge. I hope not that evade it. We have to do what we can. Uh, but I don't think we're around any one issue. And I think relying on just national immunity, uh, I think, is going to be, at the moment, is not, is not sufficient, it, it would seem. So again, I think the vaccine, particularly in the case of this new variant, seems to be very, very important. And I think the hope is that it does uh, protect us against severe illness and death. Um, it's not clear to protect against infection as well. So just underscoring the point, I don't think there's
1: one remedy here. Vaccine is probably the most powerful. So it's almost like use whatever you've got in your armory to try and get the fourth wave to be less destructive as possible.
6: Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, but I think the things aren't equally weighted. For sure, you know, social distancing, not gathering, uh, whether there are restrictions or not, these I think are rational choices people should make. And we'd encourage them strongly not to be indoors with many people. We've learned from the science what happens. So you've got restrictions, again, at a country level. And we stayed on on level one. And that may be the right thing at this stage. People should be very, very vigilant. But I think the vaccine is probably one of the most powerful things we should do. It's the one issue that seems to be from the data unequivocal. Um, And therefore, you're right. It is one of the things we should do. But I think that's probably the most powerful.
1: So are you supportive of the Business for South Africa call to have mandatory vaccines in South Africa?
6: Yes, we are. Um, but I think the call from business is a rational one. It's not about just, a, you know, mandated. I think the call is more about mandating vaccines for people going to public spaces, stadia, events, those kinds of things. I think that's right. Um, I think the more mandated it is the better. I think the issue here is that, is that this is about uh, public health. It's not just a personal choice here. You're dealing with an issue that we know that when people are vaccinated, viruses spread slower. We know that when populations are vaccinated, the chance of variance is lower. So these are our public health choices, and the more people are vaccinated, the better. So I do think that uh, if we do mandate the vaccine in ways that is, is rational in public spaces and people are incentivized, I think those are strong incentives to be vaccinated, incidentally, because I think the mandates create strong incentives. Uh, I think that's a good thing. So I think businesses called to do so is a very good thing. I do think we have to be sensitive about the time it takes to get vaccinated. Uh, people moving around in taxis. There's complexity here in South Africa. We have to be aware of that. But I do think that the more the more we can mandate that people get vaccinated, I think the better response we'll have. I think the economy will recover, will be in a strong place. If we don't, I think we're going to be in a world of pain. Uh, and we're seeing it now. You know, we cut off from the world, right or wrong. Uh, these are not good things. So we have to we have to act swiftly.
1: Yesterday in your webinar, you spoke about saving thirty to forty thousand people uh, by being better prepared for the fourth wave. How do you quantify that? So we've done a lot of modelling around uh, what the fourth wave could be.
6: Uh, this was this was before the the latest variant, you know. And if you look at the actual uh, number of deaths, I think we we've seen about two hundred forty thousand excess deaths. So ignoring official figures, if you model it out, we we think that there've been about two hundred forty thousand deaths from COVID um, in total our modelling of the fourth wave based on what we've seen and based on reinfection rates and mortality rates and vaccination rates, which I think are the fundamental issue, is that the, the fourth wave could, could kill another 50,000 or so people. And if we highly vaccinated, high rates of vaccination, that could be down to 15,000 or thereabout. So the difference, the delta between high vaccination rates um, and lower vaccination rates are probably 30,000 deaths we expect through the fourth wave, to 40,000 deaths. That's huge. Again, uh, this the the Omicron variant may may change that, but it seems from the science and the extrapolation from the scientists is that it's likely that the vaccine will still stop severe death uh, and mortality. So I think that that expectation remains the same. So all the modelling shows the difference in deaths we expect through the fourth wave uh, between highly vaccinated and low vaccinations probably thirty or forty thousand deaths. That's significant, um, and I think the deaths, as tragic as they are. Don't underscore the severe illness, the hospitalisation, the effect in the economy. I think it's a different world. You know, high levels of vaccination to low levels. I think it's an entirely different future for us. So, you know, the deaths are the most tragic, but I think that's the tip of the iceberg. I think the the kind of just, you know, the environment we would be in is different, fundamentally.
7: No one just makes a meal for a special occasion. You may go online or to that really fancy daily on the corner. And look at all the different options available in one place.
4: Maybe I'll make a risotto and I'll make it really special with some truffles, extra Parmesan and chili oil on the side.
7: So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers.
1: Well, I have Russell Lamberti and Pete Larue from Saka Licha. The topic of the moment is mandatory vaccines. You have come out very strongly against mandatory vaccines in a nutshell. Perhaps, uh, Pete, you, starting with you and then Russell, if you can fill in. Why do you feel so strongly against mandatory vaccines?
8: Uh, Alec, uh, it's best to have a voluntary vaccination campaigns because uh, if we go for mandatory vaccines, we're closing down the discussion. We're politicizing science. And we're, de- we're centralizing risk management in a country and in a world where we've seen uh, the centralization not leading, uh, leading to good results. Um, I think that we uh, we need to uh, understand that we know less than we think um, and that we should be accommodating to other people in South Africa, uh, other businesses, and let um, them adopt strategies that solve the problems at their level. That's one thing. The second thing is that um, besides being accommodative and respective of each other uh, in the world, it's also um, uh, of concern that if we say yes to mandatory vaccines, we're also saying yes to the monitored society. We're saying yes to the society where businesses are co-opted into acting on behalf of government checking at entry and exit points in the daily walk of life um, uh, to the discretion of government on the criteria they set. And this is something that two years ago we would have said uh, it's very unacceptable if China uh, and, and some authoritarian countries do something like this. We would have said this is not the country we want to live in. Um, but now we're going to say yes to the principle of that being made a habit in society. And once we've done that, um, you can't you, you, we will not be able to control what else will be put into that uh, basket.
1: So, if I, I hear you correctly, uh, you're saying that there is a possibility that this is a bit of a slippery slope.
8: Yes, it's it's it is a slippery slope. It's not a possibility. It's a slippery slope, and the people who um, wish to close down the debate, close the society, and say this is how we we'll politicize science, uh, and this is how, the way forward. Um, if you are in favour of this national mandate, then I'm afraid you're saying yes. We go on the slippery slope, but we'll manage it. We won't. We won't go down the slope. We'll, we'll sort of manage clearing our way into it. And I don't think that's uh, uh, that's an acceptable risk.
1: Russell Lamberti. I
9: presumably, you agree with all of that. Look, Alec, I, I just think that we've we've lost perspective on what it means to live in a pluralistic. Uh, democratic society, where very, very big and important decisions don't actually just get foisted on the population. You know, the, the, there's there seems to be a complete abandonment of of due process, of um of proper processes of decision making. We've we've centered, we, we we've created, we've allowed for the creation of a command council system, uh, which is quite literally a central planning system. Alec, we we saw the absurdities of some of this last year um with 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 the first lockdown and some of the crazy regulations but really right throughout you've had um bureaucratic decisions happening uh, at a whim um on the uh, on on, with, with with no real process to be followed and as a result um you've got a completely uncertain business and social order at the moment Alex so 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 the, the, the average business does not know whether next week or in two weeks' time or tomorrow there's going to be some sort of draconian shutdown. This, of course, is all justified by by a virus and by the need to, to, to protect people and, and all these sorts of justifications. We don't think those are sufficient justifications for this level of, of, of state centralization and for concentration of decision-making power. And as Pete says... We've, and as we've argued right from the beginning of this, this whole uh, saga, um, you have to have decentralized risk management. 60 million South Africans, Alec, are not the same as each other. They come from different backgrounds, different areas. They are different age groups. They have different risk profiles. They've got different economic needs. It is, it is really unconscionable to, to have a one-size-fits-all policy. And then I just want to strongly echo Pete's view that, that we, we open the door to a monitored society. Having to prove your, your health status, having to show that your body is not some kind of a danger to someone else in the normal affairs of day-to-day life is, is an obscenely abnormal way to live. Um, and we don't think that the conditions at hand, and as we argue in our, in our reports recently, in our letters, uh, in our letter to members, we, we just don't think that the conditions at hand and the reality on the ground uh, remotely justifies such dramatic action that is being proposed. We must emphasize that what is being proposed, um, punishment, as it were, ostracization for, for unvaccinated people and a system of vaccine surveillance administered for 60 million people, Alec, is an enormously draconian, totalitarian uh, system. Um, And it is going to come with enormous bureaucratic baggage, most likely significant corruption and cheating and all sorts of other nonsense going on. To to think that this is a workable system in a country that's on its knees right now economically um, is incredibly naive and dangerous.
1: In your note today, you, you said it was disproportionate and unjustifiable, and you've made some compelling arguments. However, the counter-argument is we don't know how dangerous this highly transmissible uh, variant of the disease is. Hopefully it's not dangerous, but if it is, if it starts killing people at the rate that the previous COVID's killed, then by Discovery's uh, estimation, uh, you could be talking between thirty and 40,000 deaths. And although mandatory vaccines are not the ideal, time is of the essence here. And to, to prevent those deaths, what is the alternative? And I guess that's really the question. The, those who want mandatory vaccines are saying, we don't have time. We've got to protect uh, everybody in society. Let's get everybody vaccinated and actually force them to do so because we okay. don't have time. Pitt?
9: Well Alec, I was just going to say uh, you know I, I just don't think that's how that's not how real life works we we don't We don't magnify every potential threat and take every uh, drastic action to try and avoid it. Um, that is a misapplication of what's considered the precautionary principle um, and what's not considered are the risks of of the evasive action that would be taken we open up the door to enormous social and political and economic instability on the other side. And, you know, so sure, there's, there's lots of very clever people, um, health experts, uh, virology experts, and so on, who are concerned about aspects of this virus. Um, we can debate some of those concerns, um, but one's got to ask, what qualifies those people to understand this side of the equation, the complexity of the social order, um, the fragility of South Africa's political, economic, and social life at the moment. You know, like we've just been through one of the most devastating events since nineteen ninety four in the in the KwaZulu Natal riots, and part of what has what drove those those riots is an underlying uh, uh, economic malaise. Uh, people are struggling. People are facing enormous pressures, and yes, there were some political catalysts involved. Now you want to take this population, Alec, that's suffering from seventy-five percent broad youth unemployment, um, e- enormous uh, uh, strains and challenges uh, amongst amongst millions of households, and you want to then further impose very draconian punishments, as it were, for not adhering to a particular view of the virus or of the problem. Uh, and let's be, let's be clear about this. There are several different views, you know, regarding this this particular issue. And you want to take those millions of people and force them into a very draconian set of rules and systems and then, and then see what happens. This is, this is social experimentation on a grand scale, and, and we are
1: extremely concerned about going down this route. When you say a particular view, the, the data is very – it's comprehensive. Uh, it's it's unambiguous you get a vaccine the chances are very very much lower uh, that you are going to land up in hospital uh, by a factor of five or ten or twenty depending on who which data you look at and certainly discovery would have the best database the most uh, data points given its medical aid uh, is dominant in south africa to be able to to share this information with us surely if vaccines stop people from ending up in hospital and dying, uh, there has to be a very strong argument for promoting them.
9: Well, Alec, like, there's, there's lots of things that, that stop people from, from dying. Um, it doesn't follow that those things should be mandated. And I think it's important to say that we actually understand the parameters of COVID quite well at this point. Coronaviruses do mutate. Uh, new strains of a coronavirus come out all the time. Uh, on on other coronaviruses, we always have a new flu strain. We always have new coronavirus strains. The the established science would tell us that that mutation selects for for uh, strong virality but low severity. That seems to be the early indication on this. But I I I think that there's going to be a, a, a vociferous debate about that as we go over the next few weeks. But I think what is true to say Alec is that and this has been been clear in the last few days uh, with the announcement of this this new variant uh, is that really we have very little information about it and and my feeling is that given the social experimentation that you are arguing for on this side the the sensible uh, proportionate approach here is to proceed cautiously which is to say don't shut down society don't mess with this complex this complex economy and um, and the social order don't throw another few hundred thousand people into unemployment and into uncertainty when we've already got absolutely awful jobs numbers that have just been released so there's there's a far broader set of questions here and 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 I just don't think that the that the present state of information that we have about this even remotely justifies This kind of push.
7: No one just buys a car. You may go to a dealership and consider all your options available in one place. Maybe I'll
4: get a family sedan and customize it just the way I want it. I'm looking for safety
7: features like airbags for the family, of course. So, why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers.
2: I'm Joshua Roberts of BizNews and with me today is mining guru Peter Major. Peter, it's been a busy start to the week for you. Was trying to get hold of you on Monday when Impala came out to the market and gave a firm intention announcement to buy out Royal Buffer King Platinum. Some really interesting developments happening there with Royal. A tussle between Northern and Impala. Were you surprised to see this offer just weeks after Impala had been rejected by Royal?
10: No, I wasn't surprised. Uh, we all love the Impala deal to Royal Bafokeng. King. We thought they're paying a little bit of a premium, but we thought there was more than a justification for it. I was very, very surprised when Northam came out with their bid, though. Um, and to pay that much means you had to think it through. And we know Paul Dunn is not a knee-jerk guy. He is a very, very strategic thinker. I don't think anybody is better than him. I don't know if we've got a better operator than Paul Dunn. So when we saw that huge price he was paying, we thought he must have been working on this for a while. But to me, that still didn't justify the price. We were all waiting for Impala's reaction. And I think this was pretty well thought out. You know, Nicole Miller did a lot of thinking had a lot of reason to make that offer he did a few weeks ago and for Northern to just come in, kind of make life difficult for him. Well, he wasn't going to run away because the reasons he wanted to buy Royal Baffeking holdings still exist, you know, massive synergies on his border. Um, going to lower his overall costs, going to give him a lot longer life, which should improve his rating. Um, and Baffeking was the cheapest platinum share by far. So, I, th- I think Nichols done a really measured strategic move here and I think it's going to go through. Royal Buffer King looked like. Northam own a third.
2: Impala have bought 25% from large asset managers. They're going after more shares from the other shareholders within the group. Northam are unlikely to tender their shares to Impala given that Northam traded their shares for 180 Rand per <laughs> share. And Impala offering them 150 rand per share. What does the new Royal Buffer King look like?
10: Well, it's going to have a a long-term holder in Northam. Because you're right, Justin. Northam's not going to sell for a while below the 180. And I don't know anybody that's going to offer them close to 180. But remember, Northam was holding on to a little diamond share called Transhex. And they also made lots of noises, what they weren't going to sell a for. And in the end, they sold it for a lot less than that for good reason. You will sell something at a less lesser price than you paid for it. If you can use that money to get something at an even better deal than you could have got before. I think Northern may be in that position They're They're holding on to a good asset that I think they overpaid for. And who knows if this, if these PJM prices stay here or go up, hey, they could end up making money on that deal, but I think it's going to take a while. And if not, they may find a deal like when they got Elon's Fontaine Platinum Mine and admit, hey, we're willing to take a 10, 20% haircut on what we paid for our 33% because we could really use that money to go get a, another Elon's Platinum. Um that's my thinking, yeah. They'll hold it until they see something much better value, and then they'll, they'll cash it out or trade it for that. Peter, we we're chatting about some
2: off-air, some interesting developments within the gold counters. They've, their share price has increased dramatically over the last few weeks, yet the spot price of gold has not increased. What's happening in your opinion?
10: I don't know, Justin. I've been away for three days. This has knocked me over more than anything I see on the screen. You're right. What was Goldfield? I was wondering why Goldfields was sitting at 170 Rand a few days ago when I took off. And I come back here and what is it? 188, 190. And yeah, the gold price is the same, if not a little bit lower. The Rand is stronger, definitely stronger than when I left. So so I'm sure everybody's saying, Major, there's three good reasons this happened. You're really out of touch. And and (laughs) I bet I'm out of touch on that. I, I don't have a clue what triggered that other than we were talking about mining shares getting re-rated, that mining shares in general, not just South Africans, mining shares in general are trading literally at a quarter of the PE of the S&P 500, maybe 25 to 30%. And and that's pretty extreme. It's not often they trade at that kind of discount to the S&P. And the S&P, it, if it's not getting tired, it must be getting ready for a break. So you you know can it really increase its its earnings very much more and it's sitting on a 30 pe so i think people are saying these mining companies are churning out massive profits on massive margins massive margins means 40 50% margins they're paying massive dividends they've been pretty prudent on not doing crazy MA and not doing crazy capex and hey i i, I am thinking that believe me rather than holding the s&p and nasdaq at these levels geez, to hold some Billiton and Anglos. And, and we've got broad, diversified platinum companies now, too. So I, I think there's some kind of re-rating coming on these. You know, if the rest of the market's not going to come down, the mining sector is going to start going back up. It's just too big of a discount with too good of companies with good margins and decent management to sit at these levels, these PE levels. Peter, Glenko's come under pressure in the last few weeks from activist shareholders.
2: They want Glencore to disinvest from their thermal coal assets. We've seen this with Anglo-American. We've seen this with a number of multinational commodity companies, with their diverse shareholder base putting pressure on them to disinvest from thermal coal. Do you think that companies that pivot to target metals that will benefit the transition to the green economy will outperform their counterparts, or the, or the companies that they are spinning off these cheap thermal coal assets, do you think they'll actually be the beneficiaries
10: in all of this? So I didn't quite understand the first half. I think the ones that keep these cheap assets are going to be better beneficiaries for the next couple of years. They're not going to get into a knee jerk. They know what the trend is. They see the trend, but they're not quite a cigarette company. But people were reluctant to just bail out of cigarette companies, when they were selling so cheap and especially when they come under lots of social pressure, is that the time to sell something? You know, when you have an abnormal amount of social pressure and attention and media on you, you know, rather wait till your rating improves a little bit and people aren't paying attention, but to sell when everything looks like it's negative and no one has been on the negative sheet more than Gencore, you know, for Supposedly bribing Brazilian officials for supposedly bribing DRC officials and bribing other officials, government officials in other countries. You know, Gencor, sorry, not Gencor, Glencor is almost always in the headlines for that kind of uh, story. And yet, look how they've recovered. You know, they have been selling at 15% of what they are today, and they've recovered numerous times from this. So. I don't think they're going to let this current activist protesting against them on on, on their coal. The margins are too good now. And I, I have no doubt they've got a plan to get out of coal. You know, the whole idea of running a company is you want to give it a long life. But you give it a long life by making very good deals, by, by making uh, timing Part of your value realization, you know, knee-jerk selling. Show me a fund manager who does good, who outperforms the market by knee-jerking. There is no such thing. It's it's lots of contemplation, lots of strategy, lots involved with what tactics you're going to use. So yeah, I think Glencore is a good recipient of these assets that people don't want, and they're going to be prudent when they get out of them and what price they get out of them at.
1: Well, thanks for being with us this 1st of December, but we'll be back again on Thursday for our final Business Power Hour of the week from our team. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.